I don't know if you like surprises at Christmas or not. Um, I don't know if you like to surprise people at Christmas time or not. If you love seeing the faces of people as they open the presents and they just go, oh, no way, oh, thank you, or oh, they're just so surprised. Or maybe you're not into any of that nonsense. You're all about receiving it and you love being surprised. You love uh, having uh, those presents. In fact, my wife came in uh, about two, three weeks ago and says, thank you. You're welcome. Why? Well, you just bought me a very nice Christmas present. I was like, all right, okay. So we're going to get to Christmas morning, and I'm going to be the only one who doesn't know what it is. Um, And then we'll be on Google to see just how generous it was. Um, Some people love being surprised. Some love being the surpriser. Uh, and it's great, uh, they don't necessarily, even some people, they don't even care what you get them. They just love the fact that somebody has taken some time, some effort to think about a gift and says, I saw this and I thought of you, or I made this just for you. And they love that element. They don't care what it is. They just love being surprised. When it comes to Christmas, we can get quite fixated on the gifts. And I know it can be excessive and people can spend money and put, it puts them in debt. Obviously, that's not good. But having said that, I think there's no better time of year than Christmas. Uh, people have a spirit of generosity and people are generally brighter in their moods. And um, just this whole idea of giving is ingrained into our celebration of Christmas. And of course, that's because it echoes the gift that God gave us. His son. God had been telling the world for years, for hundreds of years, to expect a savior. But when the angel told a young virgin Mary that it was time, whenever angels started appearing over shepherds who watched their flocks by night, when a star appeared uh, in the east and wise men started to follow it, the news was so shocking. And it changed the world. And that really is the emphasis of this sermon series over the next couple of weeks until we get to January. (coughs) You're coasting along. Life seems to be going well. It seems to be going good. There doesn't seem to be too many hurdles that are too difficult to get over. And then all of a sudden, your world gets flipped upside down. Things change, and the Christmas story teaches us how to expect God's best when the unexpected things happen in life. Now, the plan for this uh, is to stick to the Gospel of Luke. So we're not going to be talking too much about Herod or the wise men who focus mainly in, in Matthew Because what I want to do is going on into the new year then is to pick up the life of Christ and go through the book of Luke. And so we'll kind of start now with his life and his birth at Christmas time and then we'll finish at Easter time with his death and resurrection. Um, And so we'll do that kind of following through uh, from Luke. But my vision for the year that um, going on into 2020 is a very simple one. Because the year is 2020, I've had this, just that number 2020 in my head, that idea of having 2020 vision. 
of being able to see clearly. That's been really burrowing down into my, my heart for the last wee while. And so what I want to do over the next year, the next 12 months with all the teaching in the church is to see God more clearly. It might sound like a very simple thing to say, but I want a better vision of who God is, of what he wants for us, of what he wants from us, because if worship and our lives are supposed to be our response to who God is, then we need to see who he is clearly. And so that's, that's what I want for, for myself and, and for the church going into the next year, for the next 12 months, to get excited about the fact that such a God that we start to see and we start to understand, that not only does, can we start to see and he sees us and he loves us, and he wants to bless us, and we are loved by him, and we get to come close to him and get a, to live a life that reflects who he is. So that, that's kind of where we're going over the next year. So let's get into it. The, the Christmas series, Unexpected, and we're starting in Luke 1 with a very simple lesson this morning, expecting the unexpected. Luke 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamely in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, I prefer the more um, Hebraic uh, name, uh, of Elisheba. Elisheba, not, not just Elizabeth, uh, Elisheba. I know there's a couple of Elizabeths in church this morning, but Elisheba. The name means God of the sworn oath, God of the, the, the solemn promise. It's a beautiful name, Elisheba. And then Zechariah means God remembers. And so we get Mr. and Mrs. Zechariah's names together. And we see right at the start that Luke introduces us to people. And the first thing that he wants us to think is, God remembers his promises. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you, Mr. and Mrs., God remembers his oaths. God remembers what he said. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's a hint of what's to come, that God remembers his promises. The gospel looks a wonderful bridge from the Old Testament to the New. The Old Testament closes with a promise, and it's Luke that picks up on that whenever he begins his letter. And so that's why I say it's the most natural. What's the promise that's at the end of Malachi? Um, Malachi 4, in the last page of the Old Testament, the last two verses, it says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrifying day of the Lord's judging. So in other words, there's, he's talking about the end of the world that's not yet come. But I'm going to send someone before that. Elijah will help parents love their children, and children love their parents. Otherwise, I will come and put a curse on the land. That's how the Old Testament closes. It's not, it's not very festive. It's not very flory. But the idea is that there's a promise that a great man will come and bring a message of hope. 
And, but not only just a message, not just words, but they will be able to deliver that hope into something that brings real change. Because without a message that transforms, there isn't hope. There's a curse. It's about having hope in the darkness. It's a promise that while the world might be going on a downward spiral, God will send someone who will rescue. He will send someone who will save. It's a promise for the Messiah. And then Luke says right at the start of his letter, God remembers his promise. Between the Old and New Testament, there's 400 years. Scholars call it 400 silent years because Once God said that to Malachi, he doesn't say anything again until he speaks to Zechariah here. That's 400 years. He was done. The the, the books are closed, and when he's finished his message, that's it. There's nothing more. And all there is is an unfulfilled promise. All there is is this unkept promise from God. And so the first thing Luke does is he says, but God remembers. God hasn't forgotten the promise that he made, which is really cool. Now, of course, 400 years they were silent, but that doesn't mean nothing happened. There was a lot happening where they really could have done with God showing up. They really could have done with God speaking and saying something to them. It was the time that Alexander the Great swept through that part of the Middle East. And then on on his deathbed, uh, as he built this great empire to avenge his father's death, he hands uh, the empire over to his generals. And one who gets Syria and one that gets Egypt, they start fighting because they want to take the whole empire for themselves. And Israel's caught in between the fighting and they become no man's land. And it's a time of suffering and oppression. And God's silent. It's the time of the Maccabean uprising where people gave their lives and they fought and they fought. And God says nothing. The Romans come in and they put heavy taxation on and there's soldiers at every turn and God is silent. That is hard. Last Sunday morning, we were doing 2 Corinthians 12 when we are talking about the thorn in the flesh. And I suppose it's the same kind of focus. Where is God when we need him? Why is he not doing anything? Why is he allowing this stuff to happen to us whenever we can't figure out why? What good is this doing? How is this helpful? Why is he not speaking? He mustn't be all that loving. Or he mustn't be all that powerful, otherwise he'd do something. Why is he allowing it to hurt so much? Which is why it's so important that Luke starts off his letter by saying, God hasn't forgotten. God remembers his promise. But the truth is that the people of Israel at this time when Jesus was born had gone so long without hearing from God, no one was expecting to hear from God. It wasn't just like, oh, well, it's been a couple of months. It's been a couple of years. We're talking about centuries. That would be like us not hearing from God since the Mayflower left Plymouth to go to the big new world in 1620, 400 years. 
or uh, Shakespeare dying, what was that, 1616? It's a long time for God not to speak. But God remembers his promise. And he's going to give them a son who will point to Jesus. And his name is going to be John the Baptist because God remembers. But we come to this guy and it's not like Zechariah is an unbeliever. He's not an atheist. In fact, he's a member of the clergy. He's a minister. He's a priest of Jehovah. And Elisheba, Elizabeth, her lineage was of the tribe of Aaron. That makes them a very well-off family. It means that they have um, stature, heritage, class. And without going into too much detail, their family line was a big deal. That's why Luke tells us it. Kind of like being a Kardashian today or something, you know, or a Hemsworth or Baldwin or something. The name carries something. People recognize the name. People knew who they were. Zechariah and Elizabeth were a match made in heaven. But their marriage was not perfect. No marriage is perfect. See, but their problem was that while they had all these things that looked so good on the outside, they didn't have a family. Now, 2,000 years ago, that was a difficult place to be. It was uh, seen as a social disgrace. Not how it is today. But back then, it was seen difficult because the Old Testament writes so beautifully about a gift that children are. And so they twisted it. So you've got things like Psalm 27 that says that children are a heritage from the Lord and blessed is he who has a quiver full of them. But what that meant was, they, so yes, the Bible saying, yes, they are a blessing. They are a blessing. But then what people did was they said, ah, so if having children is a blessing, then not having them must be a curse. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible just says it is a blessing. But people then added this wee bit on. But they find themselves, Zechariah and Elizabeth, childless, thinking that at a time when this golden couple are being cursed by God, that they're being disciplined by God, it becomes a stigma, it becomes a disgrace. And so Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth and Lesheba, his wife, the kind of grief that they went through when they were younger. You know, a young family or a young couple, they get married and they just assume that it's all going to happen for them and it's all going to be easy and it's all going to be rainbows and unicorns and easy. And then a couple of months become a year, become a couple of years, becomes a decade, 15 years, 20 years, and there's still no child. And the kind of prayers that they'd have been praying, Lord, please, we want this heritage. We want this blessing. We want to pass this on. Well, all that you've given us, we want to pass it on to our children. What have we done? What have we done that you're not doing this thing for us? Many years have passed, and look who's writing this account. Being a doctor by trade doesn't just say they're childless. He explains it. He says, well, she's barren. Elizabeth is unable to have children. 
And then to add to that, he shows the complication of the story by saying they are well advanced in years. So not only is she barren and unable to have children, they're long past that stage anyway. The old King James Bible says that they are well stricken in years. It's a wonderful description, well stricken in years. What happens when you get stricken in years? All the aches and pains. Zechariah and Elizabeth were stricken in years. They had the aches and pains of old age beyond hope of ever having a child and they've just accepted that God has decided to curse them. For all the reasons that they had to be happy, they found themselves unhappy. For having things like position and name and things that other people would love to have, they find themselves like their lives aren't complete, they're unfulfilled, they're unhappy. And the one thing that they wanted was the one thing that they couldn't have, a family. All the while, God is silent. Do you think after a while you maybe just get to the point where you give up? You stop believing that it was going to happen. Confidence becomes optimism. Optimism becomes hoping. Hoping becomes dreaming. Dreaming becomes doubting. Doubting becomes unexpected. Listen, God could work, but he's not going to. Because the window's closed. It's not going to happen, they think. But it is going to happen. Uh, Verse 8. So while he was serving as priest for God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So he's publicly offering up the morning prayers at the temple. Uh, A huge, huge privilege. The task was to represent the people before God and God before the people. In Jewish circles, it was a unique job, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity Every priest was on a rota, but with over 20,000 priests serving, this chance didn't come around very often. It would be another 55 years before Zechariah could expect a turn. But he's already well stricken in years. He's got one shot to do this. He's experiencing the pinnacle of his professional career. He's just not feeling it on the inside. And so I want you to sense the heaviness of this. Here's a guy who's supposed to represent the people before God and God before the people, and we can sense that it wasn't something that's real in his heart. Yes, the honor is great, but he's just going through the motions. You know, it is possible for ministers to go through the motions because that's what we have here, Zechariah. It's possible to do the right things and not have the spiritual zeal that you should have. I'd be lying if I said that I hadn't been there this year. Definitely would be honest enough to say that it was tough at times. You you get frustrated, you get snappy at people. And while... 
you, you kind of want to say the right things. When you do it in the wrong way, you still end up in the wrong place. And I hope you'd forgive me for that for as many times as I need to be forgiven for that. I suppose I, I can sympathize with Zechariah. That's what I'm saying. I can get myself into his shoes. You work hard, and yet you're left wondering, well, but where's the blessing? Well, what have I done that, 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 that stops you from moving? Why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you changing things? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't, what do I have to do, God? And you're not getting the answer. I get it. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you get it as well. You find yourself then, you're going through the motions of doing the things that you know you ought to do. You're doing the right things, but truly you're neff, and you don't really expect God to do anything. You're not expecting things to change, even though you pray every day. You're not expecting things to happen, even though you read. And you come to church and you expect totally to leave here the exact same way you came in because you're not expecting God to speak. I'll not ask for a show of hands for how many people were expecting to leave here unchanged this morning. My heart couldn't take it. To be near God in his house with his people on his day and leave unaffected by God? Maybe we're all a wee bit like Zechariah. We're all here. Maybe we're not all that expectant. Zechariah walks into the temple, and here's what would happen every single day. Uh, uh, An offering, a lamb, a one-year-old lamb would have been sacrificed on the altar in the morning and the evening. That's the sin offering. And then uh, there would have been a grain offering or a flour mixed with a wee bit of oil. And then there would have been a libation offering, a drink offering poured out um, of wine. And then the priest would walk and there would be a wee bit of incense put on the altar and then he would walk out. And as he'd walk out, then he'd address the crowd and he'd pronounce over the crowd of people that had gathered the Aaron, Aaron's blessing uh, from, from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. That's the Aaronic blessing. That's what he was expecting to happen. Just another day. But of course, this series is all about the unexpected events of Christmas because when he walks in, he sees someone he did not expect to see. A messenger waiting for him that caused a delay. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you shall have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he will and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So Zechariah has been praying. 
Elizabeth has been praying for so long. They've spent their entire marriage praying for something to happen. And they've given up. And then God, through this angel, promises them that their prayer will be answered. And yet Zechariah refuses to believe it. Zechariah uh, means God remembers, but the man can't let go of his conviction that God has forgotten. And there's this, there's this conflict within him. I know I should remember, but I can't bring myself to believe. So Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Prove it, angel man. <laughs> it has to be the most ridiculous verse in, in, in so much of the Bible. It's like, yeah, well, Zechariah, I mean, when was the last time an angel appeared to you? You know, an angel shows up, you kind of go, yeah, whatever you say, I'm buying into it. You know, you kind of, you know, obviously. But he he says, how? How? Prove it. How do I know it's going to be true? And so the angel identifies himself. He says, because I'm Gabriel. You know, there's only three angels in the Bible that we know the names of. One is Lucifer, who's Satan. The other is Michael. And then Gabriel. I think it's really interesting that God hasn't said anything for 400 years. And then when he finally does speak, he speaks to a man who has to keep the message to himself for nine months. And uh, he has to go home. And he can't talk. And he has to listen to his wife talk for nine months. Now, is this harsh? Is this harsh? Was God severe or too severe in removing his ability to speak? Well, I would say no. Number one, because obviously we believe that everything that God does is perfect and just, even if we don't understand it. But here's why what God did was right and perfect. Because in a few moments, Zechariah was expected to step out of the temple and speak to the people and pronounce God's blessing of Aaron onto them. And I believe that God would not allow Zechariah to be a hypocrite. That, that he would say, okay, you're not allowed, I'm not going to allow you to just go through the emotions when you can't even believe me when I'm speaking to you directly. So you're not going to go out there and start talking to them as if this is all okay. you're not going to go through the motions of an unbelieving heart. I, I wonder if this is hitting home with a few people that we have a few Zacharias in church this morning. How long have you been praying for the unlikely, been praying even for something that's impossible, for, for a son or a daughter who's living this wild lifestyle or a, someone who's cold and cynical or, or a parent that's tough and inflexible or a parent that, that uh, is, is just uh, so hard, a husband that's been careless, uh, an illness that just won't let go, a financial situation that just doesn't seem to be improving any. And you're going through the motions now. Yes, you'll keep praying and you'll say the right things and you'll do the right things. But deep down, you don't think God's really going to do anything because you think, I'm going to have to get myself out of this. I'm going to have to take this on myself. 
because either God is unwilling and therefore unloving, or he's unable and therefore not powerful. And just like Zechariah, you've given up. You don't expect anything from God. Maybe you've given up on praying. It's been a long time since you prayed. It's been a long time since you've opened your Bible. Yet we drop down to the end of the chapter and notice something that happens with John. We'll drop in verse 41. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. Mary, her cousin, who is now met Gabriel and believes that she's pregnant. They, they come and they meet. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she claimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Here's a baby in the womb of Elizabeth. And here, there's a segue there about pro-life that I'm just not going to go in there. But there's a baby in the womb who is alive enough to respond and be excited about what God is doing. There's a baby in a womb who's excited about what God is about to do and is perhaps more excited about many of the other grown-up, adult, mature believers around about him. I wonder if you believe that God can do something in your life. I wonder if you believe that God can do the unexpected things, that nothing is impossible for him, or you just think, well, no, life is just destined to go on unchanged. The start of the book of Luke has a very clear message. And so I wonder, do you believe that God is hope? Do you believe that God is trying to speak to you? Do you believe that he can enthuse you again? That Do you believe that he can revive your soul and revive your heart and revive your mind? May we not be like Zechariah, who looks the part, who looks like the man or woman of God, but we're just going through the motions. It's all just superficial. Maybe even some used to speak so much about God and you talk to people about God and, and, and now you find yourself like Zechariah, well, I, I'm just not going to talk so much now. I'm going to remain silent because of unbelief. As we come to the Christmas story fresh this year, as we try and put fresh eyes on it and talk about Mary and shepherds and all the rest of it, may we do so with expectation. God remembers his promises and heaven speaks to mankind. John is going to be born and John means gracious or God is gracious. And that family in Luke that introduces us right at the start of the book, right in the beginning, in the middle of dark days, in the middle of apathy, in the middle of frustration, in the middle of, oh, of difficulty and disinterest. There's this kind of very clear message. God remembers his promises and God remembers to be gracious. Grace is the most unexpected thing in all the world. To wrong someone so badly and yet find that instead of punishment, we find forgiveness. Instead of punishment, we find forgiveness and blessing. And we find blessing and forgiveness and welcome, and a gift. That's the Christian message. 
That's what God is doing. That's grace. It's undeserved and it's unexpected. The final word of the Old Testament, remember what it was? Curse. That's the last word of the Old Testament, curse. I'm sending someone lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. It's the last word of the Old Testament. The New Testament has a very different ending. And it says, there will be no more curse. There will be no more curse. That's Revelation 22, verse 3. And then it goes on at the end of the chapter, the final words of the Bible, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. How do you go from a curse to a blessing? You insert Jesus Christ. Insert the one that John would see when he grows up and say, behold the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. Check him out. Look at him. Follow him. Pursue him. Because he's the one who fulfills the promises of God. He's going to be the one who shows us that he has never forgotten about you. He's the one who will lift burdens. He's the one who's going to heal wounded hearts. He's the one who will bring peace and comfort and hope and joy and all the worries and all the burdens and all the strife and all the heaviness that we carry in our lives are lifted by this little baby who's found in a manger. How unexpected. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that however we came in this morning, there's an expectation now that you can change how we leave, that we'll not come in and out the same way. But God, you are close, and that you care enough to speak, that you care enough to move and to guide and to lead us. Lord, may we be reminded this morning that you have not forgotten your promises to us. And they are just as true today as they ever were. And so, Lord, we pray that we might fix our hope on you, that we might fix our eyes on you. And we do this for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. Go and ask the musicians to come up and sing. And I'm going to go suck a lozenge, and then we'll come back for communion.